pray. Father, we just ask for your spirit to speak uh, this evening. We thank you, uh, Lord, that we know that even uh, passages uh, that are difficult even to read, much less sometimes to understand, Lord, have been given for our admonishment uh, that we would learn from those that have gone before us uh, to wisely choose to serve the true and living God, the one that actually did create all that we see. And Lord, we just honor you and glorify you tonight. We're so thankful that uh, you give all men the opportunity to surrender to you. We just want to surrender our hearts and lives to you afresh and anew this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, I, I titled our study tonight, He Strengthens and Weakens. He Strengthens and Weakens. And it's um, the fall of Egypt. And we'll just uh, go through... Uh, um, a section of things that uh, that really underscore what it is that the Lord is conveying to us. And if you've been with us through the Ezekiel study, uh, there's a lot about judgment. And it is tough getting through these 32 chapters, it really is. Uh, sometimes I mean, Lord, Lord, how do I reteach this concept of judgment you know that, that what is the what is the nugget that uh that you want to reveal uh reveal and you know, what is it that you want us to understand and and i ponder myself you know god could have said all of this if you read these four chapters god could have said all of this in about i don't know seven ten verses not with as much detail but you know the cliff notes version uh, but he really does take the time to really reiterate the depth of either depravity or the pride or the, uh, the certainty of the judgment or the just kind of horror of the judgment. It's, it's just black and white pages to us. But I think if we would have seen the devastation of ancient warfare up close, we'd have a different picture. You know, some of you like to watch the History Channel. Some of you, that bores you to tears. You don't even turn it on, right? Uh, but if you see the things that took place, you know, they, this would be uh, just a catastrophic thing to see the Babylonian army come down uh, and invade and, and uh, what took place there. Uh, Egypt really was absolutely devastated. But he starts in tw- uh, chapter 29. And if you're taking notes, I want to call this first section called out. The Lord gives the initial proclamation against Egypt. In verse 2, he says, Set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Prophesy against him. One thing about uh, judgment from the nation's standpoint is the leaders are always first and foremost responsible for nations being in wickedness. Does that make sense? Who does he say first? Prophesy against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Because our leaders, for good or for bad, are the ones that are going to be held accountable and most responsible for the sins and wickedness of a nation. Because righteousness exalts a nation, right? Sin is a reproach to any people. And a leader that exalts righteousness will ultimately exalt the Lord and people will be drawn to. Uh, Our leaders today in this country have such a horrible influence on the people. Our political leaders, our business leaders, all types of our academic leaders... Uh, Instead of leading people to truth, uh, they just continue to give young people and American citizens the the impression that anything goes. God doesn't, he's not bothered by anything. He couldn't care less about sin and nothing could be further from the truth. Well, Pharaoh, obviously, uh, Egypt was not a Christian nation. 
And it was, uh, it was a great nation for, you know, hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, uh, even at this point in time, when Ezekiel's speaking, they would have referred back to ancient Egypt then, because Egypt remained a dominant. So it had some times where it, it, it went down in power, but at this point in time, it still was a world superpower, not as powerful as Babylon, although their pharaohs still thought it could take Babylon, still believed it could it could do it. Just have to kind of retool uh, the military a little bit, get a few more people in the tree, you know, just uh, kind of fire up the engine, and I think we can take them because, hey, at the end of the day, we're Egypt, and we get it done, right? Kind of like America thing. We're America. We can take anybody. It's just uh, we're going to put our minds to it, and, and maybe that was the concept. But uh, Egypt, even at this point, would have been thought of as antiquity, uh, as a nation that continued to remain uh, in power for so long. But their pharaohs, uh, again and again, they viewed themselves as gods. They viewed themselves as all-powerful. You see verse, uh, verse 3, uh, who has said, My river. Notice that uh, some of your Bibles probably uh, have capitalized my river. And in the emphasis, it's really God's river, right? Any, all the rivers of the world belong to God. He's the one that made them. But the, in the Pharaoh's estimation... I've made it for myself. Now, even if though Pharaoh knew he didn't make the river, he still believes that he has been endowed by the gods with some kind of power and that the lineage uh, of the Pharaohs, that uh, they, they themselves have a, a certain power over your average people, just that they have been given uh, by the gods and that they themselves are gods, uh, that they actually have the power to call things their own. Uh, that uh, they have authority and dominion. And we know only the Lord has dominion over the world. Uh, he spoke it into existence. Uh, but people uh, really do believe uh, that you know, they reach places of position and power, and they really believe that everyone else is subject to them, that everyone else is beneath them. And just a, a great uh, arrogance and pride uh, that wells up, and we saw that uh, with Tyre as well. Uh, he's called this uh, monster who lies in the midst of his rivers, uh, a reference likely comparing Pharaoh uh, to the crocodiles. If you've ever seen the, the, the crocodiles in Africa, they're huge. Uh, they have the scales, which are mentioned here as well. Uh, they roam the rivers, and uh, certainly uh, if you uh, meet a crocodile in the water, uh, you're, not in good, you're not in a good position because uh, that is their domain. Uh, they uh, fierce animals, and so he's compared to a crocodile. When a, crocodile, when a group of crocodiles are in the water, they pretty do much. They own the territory at that point in time. Even other fierce animals will figure out a way to go upstream away from the area. And so he's compared to a crocodile just roaming the river, uh, daring anyone to question uh, his authority. And the river, of course, uh, the river would refer to the Nile. Uh, it's uh, still the world's longest river. It's the lifeblood of Egypt. It was the lifeblood of Egypt uh, in ancient times. It's still the lifeblood of Egypt today. And if you were uh, with us in previous prophecy studies, uh, eventually there's going to be great tension with Ethiop modern-day Ethiopia over uh, the Nile and damming up the Nile further upriver because uh, eventually, as Isaiah prophesies, uh, uh, the Nile will someday dry up. Uh, and that could happen very well in our lifetime. 
Uh, and when that prophecy, and I watched the Nile River and I watched Damascus. I watched those two points in the earth because as the Nile, if ever, dries up and Damascus is, uh, is uh, removed from the face of the earth, you know things are getting really near uh, the return of Jesus. And we don't even know exactly uh, the prophetic timeline. We can kind of look at what we think, how things are going to go in sequence. But those are two things that remain to happen. But at this time, the Nile was still uh, the lifeblood of Egypt, and, and it remains the lifeblood of Egypt today. And even more in ancient times, I mean, everything was related to a gregarian society. Uh, the pharaoh that's spoken of here, uh, this specific pharaoh, is Pharaoh Hafra. Uh, he's called Apres in the Greek, and he was the grandson of Pharaoh Necho, uh, who had defeated King Josiah of Judah. And Josiah had done great reforms and brought the people back to the Lord. And then uh, Josiah was killed uh, by Pharaoh Necho in the battle of Megiddo. And then the last three kings of Judah, uh, including the very last one, Zedekiah, that's, Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. Uh, he's the one that Nebuchadnezzar will have his eyes gouged out and carry him back to Babylon. But the last three kings of Judah, Jehoiakim, Je, uh, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, they all sought the help. All three of them sought the help of Hafra, of Pharaoh Hafra, uh, from Babylon's advances uh, and attacks into Judah. So all three of them sought Egypt's help. And uh, the the scripture tells us here in in verse 16, no longer uh, will Egypt be the confidence of the house of Israel, but will remind them of their iniquity when they turn to follow them. They shall know that I am the Lord. So uh, what the Lord is reminding, even though this prophecy against, is against Egypt, the Lord sticks in there uh, the the subpoint, which is not not a subpoint in the sense that uh, it's not less important, but it's actually very important that that Judah uh, had looked to Egypt as its shield and confidence, as opposed to looking to the Lord. And instead of looking to a holy God, they looked to a pagan, idol worshiping prideful, arrogant nation. And they had all looked to, uh, each of these three kings had looked to Egypt and this specific pharaoh. Now Jeremiah, he had prophesied about the coming defeat and destruction of pharaoh, and he had prophesied uh, also about the kings that trusted in pharaoh. So the Judean kings that trusted in pharaoh. Jeremiah had prophesied, I'm not going to turn there and read it, but you can write it down. It's Jeremiah chapter 46 verses 25 and 26, he had prophesied that the, uh, the kings that trusted in Pharaoh, as well as the Pharaoh himself, God would destroy and remove them. And that's exactly what happens. And Jeremiah prophesied that before Ezekiel made this prophecy. So he was called out by the Lord. Uh, I am indeed, verse 10, indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers, and I will make the land utterly waste. So the Lord has called out Pharaoh and said, I'm personally against you. I will destroy you. You believe you're a god. You believe you've created the rivers. You believe you're above the rivers. The rivers are going to turn to blood. And then remember all the way back uh, with Moses. Remember God turned the rivers to blood. Now that was a great plague uh, that uh, I I believe God really did make it all blood. Whereas here, this is actually the blood when, when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies will come in, they literally will just leave piles of bodies just piles of bodies, piles of skulls, and just blood everywhere, and it would run into the rivers, but uh, uh, kind of a 
hearkening back to some of the plagues uh, that took place uh, when Israel was brought out of Egypt. Now, there's all, there always remain, you know, just like the Bible tells us that Israel constantly had hatred and aggression with uh, the Philistines. So Philistia was always a thorn in their side. Egypt is a different thorn in the side to Israel. Egypt was always a thorn in the, slot, thorn in the side to going back to the world. Right? So with the Philistines, they were constantly in battle with them. Egypt, remember, it wasn't that long after the children of Israel got out of Egypt that they wanted to go back. They even built the same golden calves that the Egyptians worshipped. It didn't take long. They did it at the base of the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given. So Israel had always had, you remember how Lot's wife looked back at Sodom? Israel was always looking back at Egypt and had a fascination with Egypt's glory, its power, uh, just even though they used to be in bondage. And it's interesting how people will look back to things they've been in bondage at longingly. And God says, why are you looking back at those things? Press forward. Don't, don't go back. Don't trust in those things. But so the Lord calls out uh, Pharaoh because of Egypt's sin. Uh, but again, Egypt's sin is somewhat intertwined with Israel's, uh, because Israel always has this kind of relationship. And even though they, they had wars against each other, remember that Nico killed Josiah, uh, more often than not, they kind of had this kind of love-hate relationship of working together, and Israel always kind of looked longingly. And even, even Jesus, when he was going to, he could have been killed by, um, when he could have been killed by Herod, where did his parents take him? Down to Egypt. Uh, Egypt I've called my son. Of course that uh, prophecy just kind of following because he was a second Moses up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, but Egypt's place, uh, Egypt had been given a high place in the world uh, and with whenever God gives a high place you have the opportunity to uh, give him the glory for it or you have the opportunity to continue uh, to be pompous and arrogant, and believe in your own uh, in your own selves, and that's what Egypt had done. Uh, let's take a look at the next uh, section. I'm, I've titled this "Consigned Lower." Egypt had this great place in the world as a superpower; had always been a great power. Um, you look at the United States, um, our nation. You know, going back to uh, it, you know post Civil War, you know, in the last hundred. 110, 120, you could argue even a little further back, but our nation's always had a prominent place in the world. And Americans just have a great uh, pride of, you know, we, we, we really relish uh, the place as, as, uh, that we have in the world. And certainly uh, from a military perspective, from an economic perspective, from the way the world looks at us um, all of our lifetime, you know, none of us here uh, can remember a time when America wasn't a dominant superpower. And we can't really fathom that America... Can you imagine... You, you would have a hard time thinking of America uh, being on the same terms of Algeria. Right? Just an also-ran, just, just a nation uh, out of the many. Uh, you know, God loves the people of Algeria, but Algeria, Algeria is not a superpower. 
You know, they, they are not called to the table at the United Nations uh, when, when the Security Council meets. I mean, they're not, they're not heading up NATO. There's nothing specific that, uh, that they have in a, in a, from a position of power. But if the United States was reduced uh, to just any nation, uh, that would be something that would be foreign to all of us. Well, e Egyptians, for the most part, uh, would have always known their nation as being great, as being powerful. Uh, but the prophecy of, of the destruction of Egypt uh, that would come would reduce them in power. And for 40 years, uh, it tells us here that they'll be carried away for 40 years. For 40 years, they'll cease even being uh, a nation state. Uh, their people will be uh, disbanded and they'll still be, they'll still be Egypt uh, as, as far as there's Egyptians there and there's still Egyptians living there, uh, but they would be completely subject uh, to Babylon. And just like Israel will be carried away for 70 years, uh, Egypt, they are dispersed for 40 years. This takes place actually 17 years before it happens. Uh, the Lord says in verse 30, for the day is near. It's another thing to remind us about um, is before God brings judgment, before he lowers anyone several pegs down or even all the way down to destruction, uh, God may say the word near, but we never know what that means, do we? We don't know if near means 20 years three months, four days, 50 years. We don't know what near means. And that's part of what lulls us to sleep, isn't it, as human beings? Because when God says near, if it hasn't happened, we have no concept of what he means by near. And so Egypt might have said, you know, if the prophecy made its way down and said, hey, you ever heard of Ezekiel? No, I never heard of him. He lives in Babylon and got carried away. He wrote this about us. Really? When did he say it? Well, he said it like seven years ago. They're still 10 years away from judgment, right? Because it happens 17 years after he says it. So if the prophecy makes its way down there and someone carries some scrolls down to, to Egypt and says, you should read this. Ezekiel wrote this in Babylon about us. That hasn't happened. The guy's off his rocker. It did happen to Israel, so maybe he was right about that one. Maybe he's right about Jerusalem, but it's not right about us. But Egypt had always had this great place in the sun as a great empire. And even to this day, I would say most people, if you ask people, what is the greatest ancient empire? Many people will say Egypt. People are fascinated by uh, the pyramids and the tombs and King Tut. And you go to museums in London or D.C. and you can see uh, the pharaohs. And you know, they are on the coffin, like you know, the, the arms like this. And, uh, and people are still fascinated by ancient Egypt. And it uh, certainly was uh, a great empire. It's believed that the Greeks, much of the Greeks, received a lot of their mathematics and science from the ancient Egyptians. So Egypt did hold this incredibly high place uh, in ancient society. Uh, Tyre was an economic wonder of the world, as we looked at. Three chapters de devoted to, to Tyre. And Tyre was amazing with its trading, its dominance as far as understanding of the seas and the, and the trade routes of the seas. But Egypt was a classic superpower. Tyre was an economic juggernaut that sat there in, uh, in the, the, the area of uh, the Mediterranean, Phoenicia, but didn't own a lot of land. It just had a lot of money, and it, and it sat as kind of a hub to all the different trade and interaction from a monetary transaction standpoint. But Egypt was a classic superpower. It had the land mass. It had the wealth. 
It had the military power. It had great kings and great rulers. It had uh, great buildings and edifices. It had the accomplishments of arts and science and agriculture and trade and building projects. Egypt had all the things that classic superpowers do. That makes sense? Classic superpowers do those type things. They're, they're, they have uh, notoriety for all of these things. And, um, and of course, they, they had slaves. They had people that, that were underneath them. They had an underclass. They were the, they were the ruling class. Uh, to this day, the Great Pyramids are still there, built uh, much of it by slave labor. And without question, I believe uh, many of the ancient Israelites uh, built uh, what's still standing there today. But it's a testament to its former power and its former glory and the understanding of math and the understanding of architecture uh, that ancient Egypt possessed. And, and they took great pride and power in those things. Um, what was it back in uh, maybe about 2000 and... Maybe 2000, 2001, I, I had my one and only time that I had a business trip uh, that I had to go to Las Vegas. The only time I ever got sent to Vegas, thankfully, because I couldn't stand the place. Uh, uh, the little bit of time I was there, I was ready to get out, and uh, I felt like there was a demonic cloud over the whole city. Uh, now, I'd go back now in a, in a share-the-gospel capacity, so don't think I wouldn't go back to... There's good Calvary chapels there. Matter of fact, you know, our former pastor came out of there. But we, we were there for just a couple days. It was a, uh, uh, a business trip. And you know what struck me? You know, you're, you're, you're looking at the Vegas Strip, and it's a testament to all the fallen empires. And then someone was dumb enough to build New York City right there. So is that like a prophetic thing? I don't know. But, uh, you know, so there was a New York, New York thing right there. Uh, but you've got the pyramid with the Luxor or whatever else it is, and, you know, the uh, Caesar's Palace and all these ancient things. Uh, but, see, the world has a great appreciation for great empires, doesn't it? It looks up to them, even though they all suppressed people horrifically. You ever wonder why, that, why we look up to things like that? In Israel, remember, they, kept, they looked back to something that, yes, Egypt was lifted up, but Egypt didn't treat them well. 400 years but they'd be, the Lord says, all, after all of that, you're finally going to be a low, low kingdom. Verse 14, I'll bring back the captives of Egypt. And they'll come back. He says, I'm going to let Egypt continue to be a nation. They, they have a suspended period there. But they'll, they'll come back and be, just like Israel had a suspended 70 years. They'll have a suspended 40 years. But they'll, they'll be able to continue as a nation. But they'll be a lowly kingdom. In fact, that, he said, they'll be the lowliest of kingdoms. Egypt has no world sway anymore. And our in our day to day, Egypt's a you know, their their economy is pittance. And we've got states we've got states that have larger economies than Egypt. Egypt's never been a world power since then. And even when you look at times like Cleopatra and all them, that, that was a, that was under Roman rule. You know, you've got the, the Greco Roman period. Alexander the Great would take over uh, Egypt as well. They were consigned lower. Look at let's look at the next thing, carried away. The captives of Egypt, they'll be carried away for these 40 years. And it says in verse 18, uh, her daughters shall go into captivity. You know, a nation that had, uh, a nation that had itself enslaved many people over the years and had built much of its great wealth, not exclusively on sla slavery, but, and, and this wasn't, by the way, this wasn't exclusive to Egypt. All ancient nations 
valued and believed in slavery. We saw that Tyre traded slaves. Babylon had slaves, right? Greece had slaves. Rome had millions of slaves. I mean, slavery has been around since the dawn of time. It didn't take man long to realize that they could subject uh, other men and women. But uh, Egypt herself would actually go into captivity. And, and I noticed, you know, when it says their daughters, how sad it would be uh, as you have parents to see your daughters carried away into slavery. Your daughters that you'd been ra- that you raised in your house, and uh, that um, it was uh, proof that the the great um, influence that they had was over. That they now uh, would go from you know being in the upper class and uh, eating at the best tables. They were now going to be serving the Babylonians. They would be carried away into other nations and girls that might have been uh, you know in the uh, affluent parts of Egypt. Uh, that were used to having the best things in life would now be cleaning you know, the toilets and things uh, of the Babylonians. And so uh, it would be a totally different life for kids that had grown up and always recognized their nation as superior. And I think of like in our own nation, if God were ever to allow judgment, uh, our younger generation can't fathom that somebody would actually cause them to do exactly what we say. You grew up in, and you were, had a privileged life in ancient Egypt. You were from the upper class. And you saw your nation wiped out by Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, God just gave him carte blanche to just raise it to the ground, set it on fire, burn their cities, slaughter their people, kill their king in front of the people, just wipe the nation out. And then the daughters that were used to being at the best parties and everything, they're carried away and shamed, and sold into slavery, and everything else. Devastating. Look at the next thing, cut down, which is primarily uh, the latter half of uh, chapter 30 and part of chapter 31. Um, So many verses, we don't have time to go through them all, but just to give give you more thematic overview uh, of what the Lord is doing here. Um, Egypt's cut down, and, and Egypt, you know, wasn't alone. It, not only did Egypt have its own strength, look what it says in verse 5. Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, the mingled people of Chub and the men of the land. So these are the nations of North Africa. If you look on the map there, the nations of North Africa then go down uh, Ethiopia over into Somalia and even part of the African nations in the central part go down the Nile River if you will. So that whole, if you're looking at Africa, it would be the whole upper quadrant there from North Africa swinging down into the central part all the way over to the Indian Ocean where you have Ethiopia and Somalia. And so all that area was an alliance. And the belief was that with Egypt's superpower strength and Egypt's might plus the kind of reserves, if we need to call up the reserves of Ethiopia, Lydia, all these other nations, that the alliance was strong enough that if if Nebuchadnezzar got it in his head to actually come down out of the Middle East, down into Africa, that he could be stopped and thwarted. Now, one of the reasons Egypt had such great uh, belief in its invincibility was the Sinai Peninsula is huge, and no one really likes to cross that desert land. 
So Egypt didn't actually have walled cities like the Middle Eastern cities. The Middle Eastern cities, Jerusalem had a wall, Nineveh had a wall, Babylon had walls. All of those cities, ancient cities had walls because they didn't have the same natural barriers uh, that Egypt did. Egypt had the Sinai Peninsula, that big mass of desert wasteland where it's blazing hot, sand biting your face. But Nebuchadnezzar would push through all that because God put it in his heart to go destroy Egypt. By the way, when God gives any nation the impetus and the power to do it, it'll get done, even if they couldn't do it before. Remember Alexander the Great? Gets in his head, I can take Tyre this way. He figures out something no one else had figured out. I'll throw all the stuff into the water until it becomes a causeway right into ancient Tyre. So Egypt had uh, you know, kind of believed that those kind of things with the alliance, their natural barriers, the other, only other way you could attack Egypt was come down from the Mediterranean. But the Nile Delta was a quagmire of all those rivers and everything. So again, it, it had some very natural defenses but all these would be worthless. Nebuchadnezzar would figure out a way to get past every one of them. And all these nations, they had an alliance. But Nebuchadnezzar, um, God had given him... Remember Daniel's dream in Daniel chapter 2 when he sees the stage? Who had the gold head? Babylon, and most specifically, Nebuchadnezzar. He was one of the, in the history of the world, true world leaders. There was regional leaders, but Nebuchadnezzar was given by God for a window of time a world dominance. Not just even Adolf Hitler, you know, for a period of time, he did not dominate the kind of world mass that someone like Nebuchadnezzar did. He had Poland, he had France, he had you know, uh, you know some of the uh, other European countries, and and you know, Mussolini was uh, a puppet to him, and things like that. But even if he had half of Europe, Nebuchadnezzar had an influence that was far greater than that. He took out other superpowers. Make sense? He was a superpower that knocked off Assyria and Egypt, which were two major, it would be like the United States knocking off China and Russia. And not just knocking them off, but taking their land. This is what Nebuchadnezzar would do because God gave him a window of time. And again, those are also foreshadowings to a world leader who will someday have worldwide power. So Nebuchadnezzar was given this opportunity and he was, he was a sword in God's hand. And not only obviously for Egypt, but Judah, Jerusalem. He was used as a sword against God's own people, the apple of his own eye. These nations, though, like Judah... Uh, they looked for help from each other and from Egypt, but they did not look to the Lord. And the God of Israel was known. I mean, when Solomon was king, the whole world knew who the God of Israel was. This is not, I mean, that was hundreds of years earlier, but it wasn't an unknown thing that David and Solomon, they still were known in the ancient world. Remember that the king of Tyre, he even knew who Daniel was. Remember that? He said he thought he was as wise as Daniel. We kind of think that no one knew any of these things just, uh, just because um, you know, we, we think that those things faded. But just like in our own society, uh, we might not know a lot. Our, our kids in the school might not know a lot about the pilgrims, but they know that they were God-fearing people, don't they? Even though that was hundreds of years ago, they still know that. 
and we're still accountable for what we know. Uh, later, uh, you know, as Egypt is cut down, as I mentioned, it would come under the rule later of Alexander the Great. It would then come under the rule of Rome, and to our lifetime, and up into our lifetime, uh, Egypt is now just another nation. It's not a world power. It doesn't have that kind of influence anywhere in the world. Uh, and matter of fact, there's more judgment coming for e- uh, Egypt, according to uh, Isaiah, that at some point there's going to be an incredible civil war and strife where the nation will even go lower. Before God at the very end, he has this love for Egypt too, that he's going to actually bring Egypt back up uh, to a different place at the very end. And that's kind of that's uh, reminds us of the grace of God. Um, but pride, uh, pride is a thing that um, all of us deal with, uh, but nation states deal with it too. Isaac Ambrose said, remember that pride leads to hell, but humility to heaven. God always beats down the proud and lifts up the humble. And all of these nations would find that uh, the way of pride is destruction. The way of pride is hell. The way of pride is to be defeated and destroyed. Uh, But the way of the Lord is to see victory and to see uh, God uh, act on our behalf. And even though Egypt is a nation, it reminds us, um, Christian, in our lives, our little empires can be cut down too, can't they? We've seen that you know, uh, pastors of ministries in this country have built empires that have been cut down. Christian colleges have built empires that have been cut down. Families have stopped following the Lord and started following materialism, and they've been cut down. And uh, you know, the Scriptures warn of this in a couple of places. Uh, one is in James, and uh, James says, "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a there, year there and buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what happen what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a little time." And it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or we shall do that. We can become prideful as Christians saying, well, you know, I just, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to make our own plans. God says, be careful. You can be cut down. Your, uh, our plans can be reduced. Uh, Paul said to Timothy uh, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, he says, now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. As Job said, naked I came, and naked I'll return, and having food and clothing with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and in many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, the same thing Egypt saw as a nation, people, even Christians can see as a family, because they fall back in love with Egypt. They fall back in love with the world, with wealth, with anything and everything that the world says, this will give you fulfillment. You don't need God. And it's a danger to us too. And God can cut down our little empires and the things that we're, uh, that we're looking at. Israel, Israel could have gone to God, but didn't and was judged. Always looked back to Egypt. Always looked back to Egypt for help. Always looked back to Egypt for pleasure. And why is it that we as people, we choose the same things again and again and again, even though we know they're harmful, right? We know they're harmful and we'll do the same thing again and again and again. 
and we need God's help to uh, break patterns in our life of being uh, misled and fooled by these things. And then lastly, you know, I'm not going to go through it, but we already talked a little bit about it in the text, uh, the tree that's cut down, and God reminding at great lengths, he goes through great lengths to remind Egypt, the very things that I did to Assyria, I will do to you. And we're, we can never say, well, uh, surely God wouldn't do that to us. We're Calvary Chapel of Richmond. Or we're so-and-so. We're the United States. Or whatever it may be. God's no respecter of persons, is He? And He deals a fair and even hand to all of mankind. He, he's uh, willing, and gracious, long-suffering, patient. Egypt was given hundreds and thousands of years, right? Not thousands, but more than a couple thousand, but hundreds of years to turn to the Lord, but none of their pharaohs would do it. They continued to say, no, I liked what my grandfather pharaoh did, and his before him, and his before him, and, and we're going to go in that pyramid, right? And we're going to take everything with us. But where was everything going? Well, that's the last point. Consume forever. Part of chapter 31 most of chapter 32, uh, this lament that Pharaoh will end up in the same place in hell where former leaders of Elam, of Meshach, of Edom, verse 31 says Pharaoh will see them. Now, in Scripture, every now and then God allows things that I, I don't think are the norm. It, we see. Remember when Jesus tells the story of the the rich man in hell, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Lazarus afar off. For whatever reason, God allowed that rich man to see Lazarus afar off, and that God would record it as something for everyone to understand what happens in the finality of hell and the fact that it's real. And it says that Pharaoh, for whatever reason, when he's going down the pit, he'll actually see some of the other world leaders also there. And I don't believe, if you go to the scripture, I don't believe that that's the norm, but God allows him to see as a witness to all of us that all that he trusted in, mainly himself, and Egypt's history, and the fact that it had always been great, and the river is mine, and I created the river. And, and, and a lot of people, they don't think they created rivers, but what they do say is things like this, I'm a self-made man. That's the way they think, it's my genius power that built this company. It's my incredible good looks that I gave myself that did such and so. It's my intellectual capacity. So people think they're self-made. And I remember when we first got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, you know, Pastor Bob used to say, uh, which part of your internal organs did you make? Are you making livers in your basement or something like that, you know? And so just a reminder that none of us are self-made anything. The fact that we're still breathing is but by the grace of God. Amen? So Pharaoh would join all these other godless leaders, and it's sad. I, I think that uh, we don't know much about him, uh, but, you know, at first you kind of, when someone is really evil or really arrogant, uh, you kind of think, man, I wish that yeah, I'd like God to come down on But then when you realize they're in hell forever, you start to think a little differently, don't you? That the consuming is 
consuming fire for all of time. And he would join these other godless leaders. Uh, but I just, as we come to a close here, here's the, here's the point I think God is wanting us to understand. You know, Pharaoh believed in his own power. Egypt had rested on its uh, laurels for hundreds of years. Israel would often look back to Egypt and put its trust in Egypt, and it failed them every time. They still were annihilated by Nebuchadnezzar. So their trust in Egypt did them no good. Americans and unsaved people, and Christians too, we could put all of our trust we want in dollar bills, and guess what? If you ever study history, you know dollar bills could never save anybody. True? The Great Depression, wars, things will come about that all that you have could be, you could actually prepare, you could be the greatest prepper on earth. And God can send one earthquake and all of your prepping is over. True? You can't prep anything. I'm not saying it's not good to take wise measures and have, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying that you should have a savings account. But I'm saying you can't trust in those things. You could have all of it lined up, have all the alliances, all the people, all the money, everything, and God say, doop, gone. So I've watched some of I, I watched just a minute of the, one of those prepper shows, and they had like underground everything. And I said to my wife, so this is amazing. But what happens if an earthquake just like goes underneath of it and all the honey jars and everything that they had in there just... <clears throat> then they're knocking on the other neighbor's door that's eating a tasty cake <laughs> that their house didn't get knocked over. And again, I'm not against... I'm just saying that you can't put your trust in any, th- any one thing. And they put their trust in the wrong things. Here's the thing we can. We come to a close. Let's put our hope in the winning king. The actual, the one that the river really is his. The one that the world belongs and all that's in is his. The suffering servant, the spotless lamb of God. Amen? That's what our hope. The Lord's reminding us that our only hope is in Christ. He gives us wisdom to be wise and to do things that are prudent, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus not Pharaoh, not the world system. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this evening. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would just uh, continue to remind us uh, what these things mean in our lifetime, in our time. Uh, Lord, that uh, we would not look back to Egypt. We would not have a a, a thirst for the things uh, that you brought us out of. And we wouldn't look, Lord, to uh, things that are frail and can offer us no hope. But we'd put our feet and our faith on the rock of Jesus Christ. Lord, not the shifting sands of this world, fallen empires, money, or anything else. Lord, we love you. We thank you that uh, you've called us by name. And Lord, we pray that those that are still of the deception of uh, following the Egypt of this world, that uh, Lord, you'd use us as lights and witnesses, even tomorrow in our workplace or wherever we may be, uh, to be a light for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.